I think it was her touch that made it work. <clears throat> okay, let's um, just ask God to speak to us as we look into his word. Father God, it's uh, wonderful to be in your presence, Lord, and we just thank you that you are always here, Father. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and we thank you for the power that's the power in your word, Father, and we just thank you that you speak to us um, every time that we open your word, Father, and we just pray that you may speak to us, that you may meet us where we're at, that you may speak to us individually, Lord, and also as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you also for the volunteers in this church and for all those that work endless hours. And just, Father, we just pray that you be with them, that you may encourage them, that you may strengthen them, and that you may give them the um, patience and persistence to carry on working and building your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as you see, the title for this morning's service is We Are the Bride of Christ. Now, to make a statement like that, it's, um, we're going to need a little bit of explaining to do. So even though a lot of you would relate to that, it is a biblical, um, but it's not a statement. So it's biblical backing, and, but it's not a statement that states and those words. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, which is my next slide, a lot of you have heard of um, this man. Zuckerberg has claimed that Facebook in the new, is the new church and, and social network can take on the role that religion once did in giving people a sense of community. This is a year ago when he celebrated at this announcement, and this is from the Sun, um, the European Sun, not the Australian Sun, the English Sun. Um, I took it off the web of the internet. Now, this is when he celebrated two billion members um, became, the two billion people became members of Facebook. And um, I believe that most of us here are part of that group and that we make up for those two billion people. Um, so it is a bit of a, con not it is a bit of a concern, it's a great concern for the church and the future of the church. If people are just so busy with, 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 uh, with the gadgets that they have and uh, multimedia and everything that their lives are just so busy, there is less and less participation. Um, I believe that if you look at voluntary as a whole, I believe that the younger generation are not participating as much as they used to, so it's kind of middle-aged now. And I wonder where that's heading in 50 or 100 years' time, if the church is going to have existence or are people just going to say, well, I, you know what, I can listen to a sermon from home. People can do that nowadays. You can watch a, on television, you can watch Hillsong, you can watch different types of sermons, different um, channels, and you basically can justify not coming to church and just staying at home. And if that is the case now, what is it going to be like in 20, 30, 40 years' time? And what he's saying is that they want to become more community-orientated where people actually can socialise and also 
have interaction with one another, not just on Facebook, but also going out and meeting each other. Um, the story that I'm going to be reading today, it's, it's about, um, it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. Um, so, and it all talks about the one story. The only other story in Genesis that talk has more verses, but it's not a whole chapter dedicated to it. It's a few of them, is the flood. So this is the, the, the longest story, and it's about Abraham sending his servant to go and find a wife for his son Isaac. And I think that if he covers a whole chapter, it must be pretty important. It must be a pretty important chapter for, for, um, for Genesis to dedicate 67 verses. I'd like to start reading, um, and we'll read the first um, first. Nine verses here, and hopefully you can see there's a few words there that you won't be able to see, but in my um, slide, I didn't put the background, so I'll be able to read it. So let's read verse from verse 1. It says, Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of the, these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relative, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. The servant asked, But what if I can't find a young woman who's willing to travel so, f so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? No, Abraham responded, be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angels ahead of you and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from the oath of mine. But under no circumstance are you to take my son there. So the servant took an, took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Now, <clears throat> Abraham was promised when he, he left, he left the, the, his homeland in Ur and at the age of 75. So he was fairly old and he traveled to this land, to the promised land, where God was, and he was patiently waiting there. And, and then we know that when he was 100 years old, he became a father of Isaac. And then his wife died in the chapter just before this, when 37 years later. And so she died, and she didn't see her daughter-in-law. She never met her. And so I, I could, you know, God was amazing with Abraham. Abraham had an amazing faith. But it's almost like God tested Abraham all the time. And he, he promised him that he's going to have descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. That no one can count them. That's how numerous his nation is going to be. And he's, he sees his wife. So imagine him encouraging his wife when, he, he, when she found out that she was pregnant. Remember, she laughed at that. And here he's, he's probably encouraging her and telling her, you know, we are going to be a nation. But there's no one to marry our son. And I wonder why he didn't do this earlier either, because it's almost 40 years that it, since 
So he's now 140 years old. The Bible says he's very old. His son Isaac was about 40. And this just took forever. And he's just being very patient with God. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing's happening. So what do you do after you wait and wait and wait? Do you take things into your own hands? Well, that's what he did. He, he, he decided to, to send his servant back to his homeland to bring a wife there. Now, I've done a little bit of a research and the research tells me that it was about 800 kilometres away. 800 kilometres. Imagine going on a, on, on a journey for 800 kilometres. Obviously, he couldn't make it. He, he was fairly weak. And these are the last recorded words that Abraham speaks in this chapter. And um, so he's fairly old and he sends his servant to go. He took, in those days, we'll read in a, in a minute, that uh, he takes a, 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 a 10 camels with him, the servant, and he goes on this long journey. Now from Melbourne to Adelaide, I don't know, how long would it take by camels? <laughs> It'd take a little while, wouldn't it? They say it took a month. Scholars believe that it took about a month when you calculate how far they camels can travel and how all it takes. So approximately took about a month. Now imagine going on this journey for a month. He, the, the servant was here already. He was sceptical, wasn't he? He was asking, what happens if? Does anyone ever whisper that in your ear when you want to do something and they say, what about, you know, what if this woman doesn't want to come with me, he says. What do I do? So I'll go there, I'll find someone, and what if she doesn't want to come? She tells Abraham. And what does Abraham say? Don't worry. God, there's going to be an angel that's going ahead of you. He wasn't worried the slightest by the sound of it. Abraham was full of confidence. He knew that he's going to send his servant there, and he's going to come back, and he's going to bring a son. The faith that he had is just incredible. And the beauty of the story, and there's so many beautiful, different um, treasures in this story. I love her when, when he, he prays to God, the servant will pray, and he says he prays to Abraham's God. You know, that's how much respect he had. He, Abraham must have had an amazing relationship with God that his servant saw that and he lived with him. He lived with him all his life. But here he's telling, he's asked them, what if, you know, so the servant was obedient and he swore that he's going to not find someone from the land here. And you could almost imagine, you know, Abraham, he trusted this man. But at the same time, when you don't seem to have a solution for the problem, I could imagine that the servant, see, Abraham already thought ahead. You know, Abraham's saying, this guy's going to go and he's going to take a shortcut. He's going to go to Canaan, to the Canaanite. He's going to bring a wife from there. And what am I going to know? I won't know any different. So he gets him to make a covenant. He gets him to make an oath to swear and in those days to put your hand in the thigh of your master and, and it was like making an oath on the Bible these days where it was as good as it gets. So he makes him to make that oath and to make sure that he goes to this land far away, 800 kilometres. This wasn't just around the corner. This wasn't from here to Ballarat. I would think that that would be an amazing journey to go by camels to, to, to Ballarat 100 kilometres on those steep hills, I'd say, well, that's probably about as far as I can go. <clears throat> and then, we'll, in verse 10, you can follow with me. And then he says, Then he loaded ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master. And he travelled to distant 
Aram Naharaim. I think I pronounced that correctly. There he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside the well just outside the town. It was evening and the women were coming out to draw water. So he, went, he goes to the well and he, his plan was that that's where the young women go and that's probably the best place that I can go to find a wife for Isaac. And just as he gets there, he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, this is what I was saying before, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. So he asked him for something very specific. You know, to the point of where a lot of people in these days, if you ask for certain things, there's always, it's very debatable. You know, you hear of people that go to, and you hear them more, especially from missionaries. You know, Elsie would say stories like this. You don't hear us saying stories like, oh, I was in a real rush and I had to go to, um, to, to, to the shops on the way and I prayed for God to give me a parking spot. And I got a parking spot right next to the door that it was not a disabled one, you know, not, not to park in the disabled. So they're the stories that you would hear from Elsie. You know, Elsie Schlatter, some of you know her. They were missionaries in Papua New Guinea for a, for a long, for many, many years. And they lived here and they were one of the founders. Vic and Elsie were one of the elders of our church. Um, <coughs> founders, sorry. And, um, and so here is this servant. He's asking for something like that. And he says, please give me success today. And then he says, see, I'm standing here beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. This is what he's asking God. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink and we'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. So he's kind of making a deal with God. He's saying to God, you know, if I ask, I'll ask a lady, and it probably wasn't very uncommon that a lady would give you some water, but it wasn't that common that she would water the camels. And it wasn't probably that common that she would water till the camels are filled. So before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebekah was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug and came up again. Now, he wanted to have a very quick solution. He didn't want to, he's thinking, what am I going to do if there's going to be more than one? What if there's going to be three or four women that I've got to choose from? How am I going to choose all that? So I don't know if he was thinking all this, but I'm putting myself in his position and I'm thinking, what do you do? Like, do you find the one that's the best qualified to be his wife? Do you find a hardworking one? Do you look for the prettiest one? When you're selecting for yourself, it's different because we know that you, you, you know that there are consequences if you choose incorrectly or if you make the wrong choice, but here you're making a choice for somebody else. And he's making a choice for his master. And so he wanted, and I love how he said, and he prayed to the God of my master Abraham, O oh God 
O Lord, God of my master Abraham. So when he says, O Lord, he acknowledges him as being his Lord too. O Lord, O my Lord, God of my father Abraham. So then he calls out to God and he prays and he's asking him for a favour. And he's asking him that he would grant him this to make life easier for himself. It almost sounds like a selfish act, doesn't it? And sometimes our prayers are selfish as well, where we just want the easy way out. And he wanted the easy way out. He didn't want to be there and spend months and months trying to decide, trying to figure out who this wife was meant to be. Then he says in verse 17, running over to her, sorry, Running over to her, the servant said, please give me a drink, a little drink of water from the jug. Notice that he said running, running over to her. So he ran over to her and he said, and he asked her for a drink. Yes, my Lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have enough water to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in this mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrist. Whose daughter are you? He asked. And please tell me, would your father have room to, to put me up for the night? I'm the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels and we have room for guests. I thought it's kind of funny that she said they have room for food for the camels and then also we have room for the guests. Quite interesting. But what I'm um, interesting that she... You know, she was handpicked by God. And so she comes here and she gives water and she offers to give water to the camels. Now, I'm told that a camel, or, or Google tells me that a camel drinks up to, two, on average, 200 litres of water. 200 litres of water a camel drink in three minutes, apparently. So imagine these camels. These, that, that's a normal camel. That's probably not a very thirsty camel. This is a camel that's been going for 800 kilometres and he'll drink, if he drinks 200 litres and she had to, that container would carry probably about 20 litres. You try to lift 20 litres of water, it's quite heavy. So she had to walk. He says that she had to then go back to the well. It wasn't just getting water there. She had to walk to the well and get water and feed it. So before she made that statement, she made a commitment and she says, I will water him, I'll feed him. So she's pretty excited for some reason. She's, she was excited about giving water to these camels. I can't find a reason why you'd get so excited about giving water to 10 camels when they drank 200 litres. So that's about 2,000 litres of water that she had to draw from the well. I mean, even if the well, even if you didn't have to lower the bucket, if you just had to scoop it from, another, from a, a tub and carry and put it into another one, even that in itself would be a big job. Imagine drawing the water from a well. Who knows how deep that well was? 
Um, there was wells that were walking ones that they could walk straight into the bottom of it and scoop the water, but then you've got to walk up. So again, it was a very difficult task either way. And, um, but she was more than happy to do that. She was excited and she was happy to do it. And he was wondering, the servant was wondering if this is the person that God has sent. Is this the right one that God has shown me? Is this the right person for Isaac, for my master's son? And I love in verse 26, we'll skip some verses here because then he goes a story about her brothers coming out and meeting him and being also pretty excited about it, about him meeting them. And, and I love in verse 26, he says, the man, bowed, the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord, praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. Again, the second statement where he acknowledges the God of his master Abraham. He said, the Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. So he... His faith must have grown incredibly, this servant. You know, he believed in this God of his master. And then here it's, uh, he acknowledges God's faithfulness. Now, so, so here he comes and he, he meets the family. He meets all them. And then they're asked, the family asks, can, can she stay for 10 days? So they spend a bit of time with her and they say their goodbyes to her. And... <laughs> The servant is unreasonable, you know. I mean, 10 days, if he's traveled for a month, you think 10 days would be reasonable. He says, oh, no, no, no. He says, um, <laughs> you know, we this, can't do this. But he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, well, we'll call Rebecca and ask, we'll ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man they asked her, and she replied, yes, I will go. She will go. She was keen on going. And, you know, and here is, he, it's almost his mission is completed. Then he's got to go back another 800 kilometers and, 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 and make sure that Isaac is happy with what he selected. But he doesn't need to worry about that because by this time he's convinced and he knows that God selected this person. Not, he didn't select her. God selected her. Now, what I love about this story and what, the reason why I wanted to talk about it um, was that this is kind of a prophecy of Jesus coming. It's also prophetic, and the people of Israel use this, and, and it gives them strength to look back at God's faithfulness. Because see, God said to them that, I will make a great nation of you. And then there was nothing happening. So the Israelites, they, they get their strength from this story saying God was faithful. God was faithful in those days and he provided. He didn't allow Isaac to mix and marry, intermarry with others. He provided a wife and he brought her to us. So, so then, so they, they get also strength from this. But we as Christians, and I'll point out some scripture now um, of some verses that talk about us, the church. So what I'd like for us to do is that the, by, by the verses that we'll read, and we'll read first in verse 25, Ephesians to 27, it says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. 
He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Christ loved the church. And this is, this is the bride. The church is the bride. We are the bride. And what an amazing example, what, what an amazing picture to imagine that the church is the bride. You know, something happens at weddings that's repeated at every wedding. And, uh, and it's, a, a, a very, it's, a, it's a few words that everyone just, I mean, we had the royal wedding now where everyone was just waiting for the bride. Who was waiting for the groom to come out and see how he was dressed? Not many people, were they? I mean, who cares about the groom? But they, everyone wanted to see the, the bride and what does she look like? And when she comes out, they always say, isn't she beautiful? Isn't the bride beautiful? And if you can imagine that God chose to have us, to have you and me, to have the church, to call us beautiful, and then he's going to have a, a, a banquet that we will have. Here is the Apostle Paul talking to the church of Corinth, and he says, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. So Christ is his husband, the church is the bride, and here the Apostle Paul is confirming that, and he's, he, he's making this statement to the church of Corinth. And so Abraham is the father, I represents the father, Isaac represents the son, Rebecca represents the bride, and that is us. And how does the bride, how is she presented? How is Rebecca presented? I mentioned the word beautiful. But there's a lot of other qualities here that, she, that I could jot down as I was reading and as I was thinking about it. She's excited. She's full of life. She's, not, she's, she's excited about going on a journey. And the journey is the journey of life that she's excited about going. She knows that there's hard times coming ahead. And she's not going to have her support, her closest support, her family, her sisters, her siblings. She's not going to have them around her. And yet, what does she say? Did she have to think about it? She could have said, how about I think about it for 10 days? Give me a bit of time. And you know, when we, as before we became Christians, before we became um, we gave our life to Jesus. We had to think about it, didn't we? How many people made a decision and they said instantly, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to decide, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, I'm going to surrender everything that I have to him? No, we needed those 10 days. We needed those days to just think about it and to say, hang on, let me have a good think about this. Is this what I really want to do for the rest of my life? Is this what I want to do with my life? Do I want to commit it to Christ or do I want to commit it to, to myself? Do I want to focus on me or do I want to just sacrifice my whole life? And so she had this option too. And she said, yes, I will go. And that is only the beginning of her journey. Then she had this journey of 800 kilometers to go. Do you think that the journey would have been easy? Do you think that the journey would have been just roses all the way along the path and it was just beautiful journey and it was nice and comfortable. I don't think so. I think that that journey represents life. You know, there would have been struggles along the way. There would have been challenges that she had to face as she was going. But nowhere he says that she hesitated and she wanted to go back. She stayed true to her commitment. 
And we won't go into Isaac and when he saw her and he, the Bible says that he loved her. You know, that when, when he saw her, he married her and he loved Rebecca. Isaac loved her. And, and again, it's Christ loving the church, Christ loving you and me. And, and, and you know, in, the, in those days, what does he do? He comes and he gives her, he brought gifts with him because in those days they had to purchase brides. It wasn't, um, it wasn't that he just went there and got her back. He took a lot of gifts, the Bible says. Imagine to have gifts on 10 camels. Well, let's say that a few of them had food for them for the journey there and back, but there would have been a couple of camels loaded. He says that he gave, he gave her a nose ring and two rings to put on her hands. And when her brother saw her, you can read the story to yourself, he was quite impressed. He wanted to go and meet this person only by what he saw the ring that she was wearing. He wanted to go and see this person. He thought this person must be very wealthy. And yet Jesus purchased you and me. But you know, he purchased us with a very high price. He didn't just purchase you and me with, um, with, with what he can load on the back of a couple of camels. He purchased you and me. He purchased the church. He purchased his bride with his blood, with his own blood. He gave it all. He didn't reserve anything. He didn't reserve a, t a tiny bit. He gave it all. He put the church, he put you and me ahead of himself. He gave his life for us. What an amazing love that is. What will she say? What, what, what could have she said after she saw this man and, and all the gifts that he came with? Of course she could have said no. And I love that God chose to, 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 to use this, um, this illustration of the church to himself. And you know, he doesn't want to share. He's a jealous God. And he doesn't want to share the church with someone, with anything else. He doesn't want to share you and me. He wants it all to himself. And he, he wants a commitment. Because he pays such a high price, he wants us to stay pure and to, to not have another. He wants it to be like a marriage where it's a life covenant. It's a covenant for life. It's a commitment for life. In good, in bad, in sickness, in health, for richer, for poorer. How about for persecution and in freedom? From now till eternity. From now till eternity. Are you a bride of Christ? Are you still waiting for those 10 days? Are you on that side of the fence? And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I believe it's talking about Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Again, the church, God's people, not the actual city. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Can you imagine the party? I mean, you know, people feel that, okay, Christians shouldn't party like other people party. But I don't know what that's going to be like. But that's a party you don't want to miss out on. To be in, in heaven and to be celebrating this amazing period of time that the groom has been waiting for his bride. And finally the bride comes. And he... And, and he and he presents himself to her and he says, 
and just that amazing love that Christ has for us. That amazing love that he has. And that's why, you see, it's, it's, it's a commitment, it's a partnership. Nowadays, there's less and less. You, you tell someone about how many years you're celebrating as a couple, and it's almost like, you know, if you're in your 20s, like, whoa, it's as rare as hen's teeth. You know, it's very rare. You don't hear people that have been married for 20 years or 30 years anymore because there's, there's lack of commitment. And people have relationships and then they go on in the church. It's, we don't hear of this, but outside I'm sure you have friends and people that you know that can't commit for a lifetime with a partner. And this is what God wants us. He wants this partnership. He wants this to be a commitment. He wants this to be a love affair between us and God, between us and Christ. That we will do anything for our partner. That we'll give our lives for our partner. That nothing's going to be too hard. You know, when two people are in love, they'll do anything for each other. And the love from Christ towards us is there, but is our love for Christ there? Are you in love with Christ? Because he's excited and he's waiting for us to come. He's waiting for that huge celebration that he will, that he's preparing. And another interesting part is, you know, in the, the, the old, the Jewish tradition was that they'll go and they'll meet a, they'll meet a girl and then they'll, I'll share a little bit on communion in another sermon, but they'll find their partner and then they'll go away and they'll commit to this girl and then they'll go away, especially if the guys are fairly young, which a lot of times they would be. They'd go and they go for at least a year before they marry them to prepare a home and to get ready for all that, especially if the dad's given them land to build a house and to do all these things. So they'd go away. And, and there's that waiting period. And the important part was that they make a covenant before they are separated that they will stay true to each other, that there will be not be another person that will come in between them. So they'll stay faithful. And that is the same thing that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a home for you. You see, just like the Jewish tradition was, that he's gone there to prepare a home for his bride. And he's waiting for the bride and he can't wait for that time. Just like a groomsman, when he's waiting for that year to finish, so he finishes building his house and he can't wait to share the rest of his life with his beautiful wife. And so here Christ is given us that image of the church being the bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, that he can't wait till he sees us. And we need to be excited like that too, that we can't wait to see him. I'd like to give an invitation for all those that are, haven't made that commitment, that haven't committed their lives to, to Christ, that, haven't, that are, are not part of the bride of Christ. There is no need to wait. You don't need to wait for 10 days. You don't need to wait for 10 months or 10 years. The time is today. There is no better time. Time is just give your heart to Christ and you become part of his bride, the church that is beautiful, that he's given this amazing, beautiful image. And he wants us to be, to be, um, to be pure and, and beautiful for him. Um, let's just pray. Father God, thank you for the amazing love that you have for us. Thank you that, that, um, that you want a commitment from us, not just 
a one-way commitment, Lord. Thank you that you made the first step and that you've demonstrated and that you're expressing your love for us. You're expressing that you love us so much, that you care for us so much, that you gave your life for us. How could we say no? How could we say we'll think, of, we'll think for a little while? Yes, Lord, we want to follow you. Yes, Lord, we want to be part of your family. Yes, Lord, we want to be part of your universal church, your bride. We want to be faithful to you, Father. We want to be faithful and to... We can't wait till the exciting wedding feast, Lord. We can't wait till you come back and meet us in the clouds and we can begin celebrating that amazing wedding feast, Lord. <clears throat> we thank you for your word that is full of illustrations and beautiful illustrations that we could um, draw from. And Father, we just thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us and paying that ultimate price. We just thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.